Marg and Dave on the air once again. This is boy, Conversations. Been a, been a garden party this week. Ooh, boy. A little toasty. No doubt about it. And just everybody watering all day long. That's what we got. Everywhere. Standing in the shade. <laughs> watering. <Yeah. laughs> Calling me up and saying, I'm going to quit mowing. I've got to go in the shade. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah. It's been something else. This is called Conversations with Alaskan Gardeners. Martin Tharp and David Lendrum from Landscape Alaska. We're talking to everybody in Southeast Alaska this morning saying, what a wonderful life. Absolutely, what a wonderful life. Look outside at things going. And this week, the lupins started blooming. They weren't here three days ago, and now they are everywhere. Just big towers of bright blue. And man, it's I love this stuff. I love how quickly the life changes. I love how much it's changing right now. How how in the last two hours... Well, it's never really dark. In the last two hours, <laughs> it went from being that uh, tropical sense, and now the weather front is moving in. It's and really it's standing windy. out here. The wind is moving, and the, the trees are moving around. You can feel the, the uh, well, light changing, and the clouds are coming. 15 degrees cooler, at least. Yeah, and at what least. does that mean to us? Uh, I guess right. <laughs> Being out there every day has really been hard. It has been. And you've been a valiant, valiant person, Margaret. Thank Byron. you. Using I your have... truck and crew and getting out there and taking care of all that stuff. I try. Yep. You've done a great job. And and uh, in uh, this is a call-in show, uh, 907-586-1800. If you'd like to ask Margaret any questions about uh, what she's up to in the modern world of horticulture, what's changed and what uh, we all think about it because we are deep into it we've been talking this morning about the developments the modern developments in uh, horticulture and landscape architecture and what that means for the general population and what it means for people that that play in that particular field so there's some big changes going on and some some not changes too and plants have a long history with human beings just like animals, dogs, cats, birds, you know, we, uh-huh. we are... We eat them. We are part of the world. And uh, the history goes back along, you know, think of the War of the Roses, those 1400s. Late 1400s, 1450, 1480. Uh-huh. Right. Of course, that wasn't roses fighting against roses. That was people fighting against people, but, but they, they had roses pinned to their shirts. And, and chose to have... Emblems. Emblems, mm-hmm. that's right. Chose their emblems out of the plant world, just like and, the and Japanese roses, people, too. And roses are probably one of the most cultivated Oh, plants. by far. N- not the only one, but one of the at the top yes. that have been worked on and grown and marveled at. And, uh, and in any culture that can, they have been there. You know, the... the uh, Asian people have tremendous history with roses also. And it was the introduction of the the rose varieties from China and Japan that really kicked off the European rose development. They had native roses. They had Rosa Gallica. They had the, the big thorny roses with the uh, incredible aromas. But they didn't have that big, fat, full flower. And they didn't have the 42-petal arrangement. Well, you know, um, and... I've been reading online about the growing roses in a cold climate. The thing about Juno is it rains so much. It's not just that 
are they going to survive? Because uh-huh. you can grow a lot of things, and if you put enough time and energy into protecting them in the wintertime, they can make it, especially if you have the right lot. But on the other hand, the water. You know, water does a lot. It, it's a different type of toughness in order to take the kind of rain we had last year. I mean, you can't talk about the rain this year, but last year. And mm-hmm. you know, I think it was raining seven inches a week in July. It was stunning. <laughs> you know? Absolutely stunning. It was like the stuff was floating up out of the ground. It was really something. But and really what happens also, it's the fungus diseases that come along with all that moisture. And even if it does grow, will it flower? You know, roses do need a certain amount of heat in order to put that big flower out there. And the David Austin roses, although absolutely beautiful, really do require a drier, sunnier climate for the most part, or a greenhouse, something that can protect them mm-hmm. from the kind of weather we have here. Now, up in Anchorage, where it's much sunnier, or Fairbanks, probably would be much more successful. But the water here is what I see really is detrimental in people's landscapes. Do you remember that family in uh, Bonnie Bray, that built yep. their house particularly to grow roses. Yes, I do. And you'd go in their house and walk into the entry room is like walking a into big atrium. A, a great big atrium filled with potted roses. Mm-hmm. That was so cool. But it wasn't sunny. And yeah, even that, they were surrounded by trees. I'm uh-huh. like, that. That's right. Even though they had the whole Maybe thing Maybe growing mint. <laughs> yeah, ferns, <laughs> aromatic ferns. Right. Okay, so uh, Landscape Alaska is our nursery and landscape construction business. Margaret's a landscape architect. I'm a Mr. Horticulture. And we have a nursery on the Back Loop Road. And we argue all the time about things. Uh, all kinds of things. That's right. <laughs> Different points of view. <laughs> so uh, we're open. We're open uh, six days a week now. We're closed on Mondays. But other than that, we're uh, at the end of a, a private driveway that goes off the Back Loop Road. People still call me every week and say, I can't find you. I'm driving up and down the road in front of you. I can't find you. Well, we can't have a sign. That's the law. We can't have a sign on our on our business. And uh, you'll just have to uh, look at my mailbox and call me up. You'll find a map on our website. But mostly you just have to call us up and say, I'll meet you at the corner. It's Our driveway is between Goat Hill <coughs> and Springway on the right-hand side as you're driving to the glacier. So it's not too hard to find. Apparently not, because people find it every day. But when they come up and see it, the first, first-time first visitors are always awestruck by not just the, the depth of the collection of the plant material we have for sale, but the real beauty of the setting and how, boy, there's not another place in Juneau like this. It's just as private as you can imagine, yet right in the middle of the community. It's fun. It's fun, and come on up. We have some uh, charming young people working today. We'll be open until four o'clock, four o'clock this afternoon, and uh, tomorrow from noon to four. And the uh, and you're, you're right now. You're giving away so vegetables pretty. today. Clearance, clearance Clearance. price on on, uh, spring vegetables, broccoli, cabbage, cauliflower, those kinds of things. It's time to move on to the summer crops. What about the leeks? Are they all gone? I wasn't going to put the leeks on sale. (laughs) (laughs) I would. Because I like them. Well, we're not going to get them planted. Go ahead. Oh, okay. And you can have leeks too. There you go. All right. Squeeze them. What about the pepper plants? Sure. Okay. Peppers too. 
All right. Anyway, so so yes, and I expect they'll all be gone today. But uh, if you're interested in that kind of stuff, come on by. There's some action going on today at uh, at uh, Thunder Mountain. There's a program all day long put on by the uh, Sea Alaska Heritage and the Gold Belt Corporation about traditional medicinal uses of native plants. Yeah, I love that. I do too. I wish we could go. I do too. And I hope they film it. And I hope it becomes part of the archive. Or at least have a podcast about it or right. something. I'm afraid I'm just too busy today to go see it, but it is so fascinating. Now you see back in the back in the day, oh hello. Hi, conversations. Good morning. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about fertilizing a vegetable garden either with um, liquid fish fertilizer or granulars when it's this warm out. Yes, we we'll certainly will. Okay, we can Thank go right you. there. Now, one of the things that I also see on the Facebook complaint area is fish fertilizer is a really good fertilizer, but the longer it's been on the shelf, the stronger it gets. And so you need to dilute it even more than what they recommend, especially if you think that the the bottle you've had you've already had for 10 years or or it's been on the you know a lot of people haven't used organic fertilizers as much in the past as they have now and sometimes it's been sitting around in the hardware store for four or five years just getting stronger and stronger so uh, diluting it a lot is important that's the one thing i want to say about fish fertilizer it's a really good fertilizer Uh, the other thing is you have to water your garden first and, and like you know water it and a couple hours later after it's all drained through and it's still moist you go through and you water your vegetables but you don't water them on the plants you fertilize them fertilizer you mm-hmm. water around the plants right so it and goes to the roots you don't, and particularly don't get the fertilizer on the leaves of the plants or if you do make sure you wash it off right away but if you're using something like the fish fertilizer or any other water-soluble liquid kind of feed, making sure that it goes onto the ground around them rather than on the leaves at this kind of temperatures is really a good idea. And then for granular fertilizer, do you want to talk about that? Because Easy. You're, you're more experienced with that. Easy. And you know, you th- we think, oh man, it is so hot here. But if you think about that, in the croplands of America, this is not hot. The croplands of America, where the plants are growing and the most of our food crops are growing, it gets hotter than this, and people are still fertilizing them. So you can't you can't take it as a one hundred percent. It's going to be way too hot deal. But if you're going to fertilize vegetable crops, you don't put the fertilizer right on the plant itself. You put it off. It's called side band fertilizing, and you dig a furrow and put the fertilizer in the furrow and cover it back up again. And that would be at a distance away from the roots and probably on both sides, maybe a foot away from the little plants. So the fertilizer then is uh, in the soil and, and dissolved it lightly into dissolves the soil. when you water it. Right. Because fertilizer is essentially a salt. And when it gets wet, it separates into two component parts. And those parts then are available for the plant to take up while they're in solution. But if they get bound to the, to the uh, molecules of the soil, then there's no getting it off. You have to uh, you have to find a way to kick it off, and that's one of the reasons why people use lime when they fertilize. You use lime when you fertilize; it makes all that stuff more readily available. But you only lime once. 
Yeah, you don't lime, you don't lime every time you fertilize. No, don't need to. But you have to have some lime in the soil to for that fertilizer to become available to be released. Especially since our soils are mostly pretty acid, um, and um, I've never heard of this side. What did you call it? Side band fertilizing? Side band fertilizing. You know, I even That's took an organic gardening <laughs> class at the university, and they didn't show me that. Uh, These little secrets. Techniques, we call them. Uh, secrets. Traditional techniques. And really, when you're using something that, if uh, the whole concept of the organic fertilizing, using manures and, and fish fertilizers is not so much to directly fertilize the plant as to increase the fertility of the, the soil. soil. Right, so the whole soil food network has more energy coming into it. Look at these fertilizers as if they are fuel. And you're, you're fueling the, the uh, activity here that's going on, fueling the growing of it. But you're not gonna pile more fuel on it that it can use. That would be both, both uh, weightful and, and counterintuitive. You want to have wasteful and counterintuitive. You want to have, you know, enough, but not not overwhelm it. And uh, and you you'd look, still, even with your side fertilizing, you still would water things before oh, you yes. started to and and afterwards and afterwards. Because even even with something like composted chicken manure, the plants are not eating the composted chicken manure. They're building the soil content. They are they, the plants are absorbing nitrate, something that is essentially a dissolved salt, a dissolved chemical coming out of that. And that's what can go into the root system. It's not that it's uh, little tiny pieces of chicken. You know, it's... <laughs> I'm sorry. That's all right. Is that too simple? This is Dave. <laughs> okay. All right. Anyway, so... so uh, I love that question. Enough of that. <laughs> Here's another call. Okay. Good morning, Conversations. Hi. Um, I am overrun with beautiful Sitka roses in my backyard. They're doing so well, they kind of took over. That's uh -huh. what happens. They're the typical single petal, deep pink with a lot of fragrance. And I'd love to share them uh, if anybody has a long driveway, they want to put a row of 30 roses up, or a school has a back fence they'd want to line with roses or something. Come and get them. How do you want them <laughs> to get in touch with you? Uh, pardon? How would you like people to get in touch with you? Oh, um, my cell phone's nine five seven zero five four three, and I'm wondering how we could dig them up or whatever so that it would not hurt the plant and they would grow for someone. Okay, we'll tell you something on the air. Okay? We'll tell you on Thank the air. Thank you. All right, and that's a oh, wonderfully generous offer. Where are where are they in town? Oh, well, well, guess we'll it, find out. You know. Ragosa roses, which is the family name of the Sitka rose, are incredibly tough. And it's hard to kill them. You can kill them, oh, but yeah. it's not easy. And we salvaged some from the old Wells Fargo in Lemon Creek. And they're just, and they're huge, and they got ripped out with a big machine, and we got them loaded in our truck, and we, they're just going to town. They're huge. Good morning, Conversations. Uh, I live downtown. Okay, thanks. <laughs> thanks. Uh, bye. And uh, really, when you, when you transplant this kind of stuff, uh, it's all about water relations. It's all about water content in the plant 
and keeping that as high as possible. Lots of times when we transplant stuff like this, we'll strip all the leaves off something. Or we'll cut it back. Tremendously. All the way down to where it's just a crown of root and then, and plus, secret roses are so thorny. You know, unless you have some way to corral them, it's really hard to uh, manage them. And the roots are tough. So, um, hand digging is not an easy thing, but I'm sure some young, vigorous person could go right for it. Absolutely. And you want to be able to cut the roots underground, not just cut them with a shovel, but actually have loppers available to cut them free of the soil and uh, be able to have a root wad that you can pick up. It's nice to have a couple of pitchforks so that you can jab them into the root wad and have two people pick them up together once they've been dug free. Mm -hmm. So what you're going to do is you're going to essentially cut chunks out of the root mass and uh, cut the tops back and transport those big chunks of rooty, dirty stuff into your yard and let them regrow. And, and the thing is, plants have an easier time establishing if they can just concentrate on their root growth. By getting rid of the top, it doesn't have its energy divided. When you leave the top and you transplant it, especially something that's big and unruly, the roots have to support the plant and they want to support the top so the energy gets divided and the roots aren't established enough to be able to sustain it. So by cutting the top off, they can focus on the roots and when the roots are ready, they'll send up a whole new top. And really what's happening too is that when you dig the plant out of the ground, anything you can see as a root system is only a transport vehicle. The part that actually does the absorbing are so fine you can't see them. It's and they like mo- little tiny hairs. It's like hairs, and they mostly get destroyed in that process. And the plant has to grow new hair roots in order to start absorbing stuff. So what you're going to do is to provide them a sheltered place to regrow that stuff, and, uh, and then the, it'll take off again. What we often do in uh, people's landscapes is to help them establish a nursery bed in their yard. And that way when people give them things or they find things or they even sometimes they go and, and uh, salvage things, they have a place to put it right away and let it re- regrow new roots. And that would be in a mass of, of sandy, peaty soil. Something that can drain pretty well and still have enough peaty stuff in that it. That has a hose. A hose nearby. A hose nearby or even a soaker hose that you uh-huh. can turn on and turn off. And it makes a world of difference having that transition, that uh, temporary stage in between them. But those roses are tough. They I are. I mean, they are ding-dong t- tough. And uh, they're, I won't say they're easy to transport, but they're very successful. That's really? what I'm going to say. And that's why they're everywhere. Yeah. You know, and they're not really, they didn't start out in Sitka. They started out in northern Japan where they grow wild That's on the, the beach. That's the Ragosa. Uh-huh. And they, were, uh, they were, were brought to Sitka as part of the experiment station program. And then when they closed that down, the, the biologist there said, help yourselves, folks. And the people from Sitka came and got them. Sure. So they're everywhere. Sure. Every- and they're a nice plant with great aroma. And they're great barriers and they're, they're beautiful. Okay, We're going to have so, to get ours out of the greenhouse and get them right on, right up on. on our property. Okay, so uh, one of the things that I've heard a lot this week is uh, people are talking about their plants that came out of dormancy, 
kind of waited for a while, finally got leaves on them, began the leaves begin to grow, and then the leaves collapsed. And uh, root damage. Root damage is what it is. And it was such a long and harsh winter that lots of things got killed. Lots of things got killed, but when it kills the root system, sometimes the top is still going to have enough life force and energy and moisture and nutrient. To want to have it. leaves. It will. It'll come into leaf. It'll come, it might even bloom. But then everything, you know, if it doesn't have the push behind it. Our big Japanese maple behind go. the greenhouse is like that. It's dying. So much of what we have had that effect. Yes. And really the greenhouse collapsing in the what we thought was the end of the winter and then it going on for months after that. You know, the other thing I've noticed, all that stock that I loaded into our greenhouse down in Montana Creek, it took a long time for it to come on. But some of it's still just now emerging. Mm -hmm. That the heat, along with getting a little bit of water, what little bit of life was left and stuff. I mean, these are mostly perennials that I'm talking about, not shrubbery or trees. Uh, They're... Of course, they're primroses, and they're they're like, okay, I can take another round. Let's go. Let's go for another shot. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Or bleeding hearts. Oh, looking at those bleeding hearts is just luscious. Mm-hmm. So you're uh, planting astilbes now. Yeah, I have a, I don't know, 200, 200? No, 100. 100 astilbe plants. and uh, 100 of each color. Uh-huh. And they're big. Yep. Okay, we have another call coming in. Good morning, Conversations. Yes, um, I was wondering if anybody could do the research on the rose hips that we have here, and like you say, in China, but they're also in Ethiopia. Is anyone you could have a, a way of researching that? Oh, I'm sure it's already been done, and you can just find it easily on the Internet or through the local university or through the Extension Service. And, okay. And uh, get in touch with me directly, and I'll point you someplace, okay? Okay, thank you. You, you betcha. Bet, thank you. I love that stuff. I, I, well, I the rose hips fun. here are really something. I mean, really and truly. And I, they're supposed to be fabulous. Well, those rose hips on the rugosas look like cherries. They're <laughs> huge. Almost apples. Uh-huh. Absolutely huge. But the, the real wild rose here has hips on it also. The... Are you talking about the woods rose? I'm talking about apicularia. I'm talking about the the rose that grows like tall, stiff stems and has the pink flowers up on top, but thinner, thinner uh, thorns than the Mm -hmm. rugosa. Right. Across the street from the library. I think that's called the woods rose. Could be. I know the woods rose as a wild rose in New England, but I I know this one as a different one. This is a. Maybe it just looks similar. Nutka. Nutka rose, they call it. Oh, there we go. The Rosa nutkensis. There we go. Uh-huh. They look similar. They do, and they have the same kind of flat pink flower with the five petals on it. Uh-huh. Remember the when we lived in Lemon Creek, the trailer next door had that along the fence line. Yep, I do. With the lilacs growing there. Yep, you have to have you have to have ornamental stuff. You know, no matter where you're going to get it, it has to look nice. Okay, so uh, 
from my point of view, the most exciting stuff that's happening has been the uh, the increase via plant breeding in uh, disease resistance and insect resistance. I love the uh, the increasing flower time, and I really, really love the breeding done on hydrangeas in order to make them be all those different colors and make them and being able to be cold hardy. Right. The, living the great. ones that we've been using for the last few years have just been stunning, and the color on them is just beautiful. I love the sweet summer. You have to order some for me for next year, Dave. Well, I did order them for you this year. They, nope. just, they seem to vanish, though. No, but order them in advance. Maybe I can do it right now, and you know. maybe there's still some available this year. I really love them. The uh, hydrangeas around the state capitol building are going to be stunning this year. They're stunning every year. They're absolutely beautiful. That's right. And uh, they're just coming out in the leaf. They won't be in bloom for another month yet, but they're going to be just absolutely beautiful. So we're coming up to the end of the show. If you have a, uh, another question that you want to get to us, now's the time. Or if you can reach out and, and uh, reach us through landscapealaska.com and uh, send us an email. We're always readily available that, that way. And do you have the predatory insects available? You have nematodes. I have nematodes available now that, that go for the uh, the rhododendron root weevil. Uh huh. And, and then what about what was the other thing you got that ate aphids? Yes, that was a uh, lacewing. Are you going to get those? I'm, I have another order of lacewing coming this way because they this were next great. week. They look when you look at them, you can barely see them. They're so little, but you focus down on it, but still without a magnifying glass, they look like a little tiny alligator. <laughs> they look like nothing but a mouth with some little legs looking for something to eat. And they, boy, they were great. That's a great rid, to get rid of aphids. And this we is had aphid a, we time. had a shipment of, of uh, violas that came loaded with aphids. I took some of these little mites and put them out on those. I had just gotten them from my friend who has who raises these predatory insects. And uh, boy, they went right to work. And in three days, there were no aphids left. They ate them all. Yeah, hooray, hooray is what it I say. It was great. And the uh, nematodes, yes, we have a big shipment of those. And that's for if you look at the edges of the leaves of your rhododendron and they're kind of lacy and they have been bitten all the way down around the outside edge of them, that's a real good indication you've probably got them. And this uh, nematode will crawl down into the soil as baby little nematodes and hunt them down and get them. Yep. Okay. Cool as a rule. All so, right. Thanks, uh, Dave. Today you're planting. Today I'm at the nursery. And we'll be glad to see you all as you come and visit us. And until next week, this is Margaret and Dave from Landscape Alaska. And we're wishing you all happy gardening.